to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence, preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Hi, everyone. This is Adrienne Garland, and welcome to Sugar Coated. It's a podcast where we talk about all things and we don't use any sugar coating. <laughs> I am so excited today to welcome my friend and my guest, Linda Maloney. She is a, uh, I actually met Linda when she spoke at a conference, uh, she leads conference several years back, and she is just a force. <laughs> Linda is a retired naval flight officer. She's an author, an MBA, and she's the CEO of her company, Women Veterans Speakers. Linda has a huge heart. She is a wonderful person, and you'll hear about an incredible project that she's working on that promotes women. So you can see why I invited Linda here today. She's nonstop, and I can't wait to introduce all of you to her. So welcome to Sugar Coated, Linda. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we were just you know speaking before, and I thought we should turn the recording on because you know you said how busy you are. You know, we as women do so much and we're managing so much. And, you know, in addition to all of that, that I went over, you also work full time. So just how do you kind of manage all of that? I mean, I know it's a trite question, like, how do you do it all? But how is that working for you? (laughs) So, you know, I always say, oh, I want to, you know, clear things off my plate but to be honest, I feel like that's my MO. That's like who I am mm. is to keep a full plate and juggling. And as much as it drives me crazy, I think it also, you know, energizes me too. Yep. And I really try to like, I'm a, I'm all about organization and project management. Um, so much so it probably drives my, my family crazy, my kids crazy. <laughs> Really, because um, I try to, you know, manage things in different piece parts. And, um, you know, I'll give certain things a certain period of time. And I really feel like that's how I can manage so many different things. You know, I'll manage my schedule, you know, down to the, <laughs> the, the nth degree. Yep. I give myself, you know, so much time to manage this project. And I know that, you know, I'm working my regular job during this time period. But that, you know, um, when I take my kids to swim team, then I have two hours in the car and, you know, I can work on this. And um, so I try to really just manage it in different, you know, piece parts. And um, and also, 
you know, I realized there's, there's only so many hours in a day and there's, and the work's always going to be there tomorrow. And so if I don't, unless there's an absolute deadline that I can push it off to the next day and just tackle it again. Yeah. And, um, I just, you know, I, I, I wish I wasn't so passionate about so many things, but that's just who I am. And I just try to live life to the fullest. And if I could add four more hours to each day, I really would. (laughs) (laughs) You can, you can deprive yourself of sleep, but that's no fun. Um, yeah, yeah, that's funny. I think that that's a reason why I really, you know, like you so much is, uh, you, you have all of these different passions and you are able to sort of, you know, fit everything in. I think there's two, yeah, I'm sure there's, you know, a billion type of people, but you know, the two big categories of people are, are sort of the people that, you know, they go real deep into one subject area and they're super expert at that area. Or there's people that are, you know, multi-passionate. And it's so funny. There's a woman, she actually recently passed away that I had read for years and years. And I loved her so much. Um, Her name is Barbara Shear. She wrote all these, you know, uh, personal development type of books. And one of the books, I think it's called Refuse to Choose. And it's all about people who are called scanners. And so these are the people that are just interested in everything, like living. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I have always sort of identified as a scanner because I too am multi-passionate, if you will. And I think that, you know, it's really interesting (laughs) to live life as a scanner or a multi-passionate person. So, you know, it's funny. I was, um, I was just taking a look at, I think it was you were either interviewed on a website or maybe it was something that you spoke at. And one of the things that I didn't know about you is that you left home at 17. I did. Oh my goodness, Linda. (laughs) (laughs) I really left home at 16. Oh my God. And so I had a difficult growing up environment and I just had something in me that I wanted to get away from it. And I wanted to you know, live life on my own and pursue my, you know, my own life and improve my own life. And, you know, I was a a product of a very, um, I think we all have dysfunctional families. Oh yeah, we all do. (laughs) Yeah, very difficult family situation with divorce and child custody battles. And and I just knew I just needed to get away from that and just start living my life. Mm. And the funny thing is, is that you know, you think you're going to leave it behind and you take it with you. And so, you know, I embarked on a a journey um, just to, you know, not, not only professional development and, but also personal, you know, I mean, I, I truly say that um, everybody in this life needs counseling every now and then. And I've gone through lots of it to try to, because I don't think when you turn 18, you, you are suddenly okay if you come out of that kind of situation. No. You know, and yeah, it took years of talking about it, growing. I'm, and I still feel like I'm in recovery yeah. <laughs> from, from it. And, um, but thank God for the military because I came in the military when I was 17 and um, I was an air traffic controller. I was enlisted. My parents didn't have money for me to go to college. And so at my first duty station in Hawaii as an air traffic controller, I had this uh, supervisor that I worked for. His name was Senior Chief Dickinson. 
And I wish I could thank him now. I, you know, I, I never, I haven't spoken to him since I left that duty station, but he saw something in me and he encouraged me to apply for an officer program. And I did, Mm -hmm. I got selected and the Navy paid for me to go to college. I got a degree in engineering and in Idaho, my parents were like, where in the heck is Idaho? Because we're from the East Coast. But it was a really, I mean, you know, when I look back on it, you know, I really feel like, you know, even though all the twists and turns and my path, you know, wasn't straight, straight, narrow, you know, there were a lot of deviations here and there, that I'm just real, really thankful for that. I'm really thankful that I feel like, you know, God directed my path to get me where I am today. Yeah. And um, and Idaho was was part of that. <laughs> Going to college in Idaho, so, Moscow, Idaho. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You know, I think I, I love that story. And so many times, you know, it's like the the negative experiences that we have are the things that propel us to, you know, I don't know if it's destiny or, you know, like you said, the, you know, sort of the right people that were put in your path. But I, I just think that that's beautiful. And what a better place to sort of be encouraged than in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, my know. gosh. How long were you there for? Just for a year. Okay. Just for a year. I was supposed to be there for three years. Wow. And um, when I applied for this program, I then moved to San Diego, another prime oh, yeah. uh, place. Yeah. But that was really, you know, the start of my career, you know, in my, in my life, really. And I'm really big on mentorship because I benefited so greatly by people walking alongside me and speaking into my life. And I just think it's so important. And I'm, you know, a direct, a direct recipient of that, you know, both, both men and women who have spoken into my life and encouraged me and walked along, you know, me and my journey. And I'm just a very big proponent of mentorship. Yeah. You know how it's funny. I think sometimes when people come out of situations that aren't the best, they also have a wall up, right? So mentors who have the best intentions to help people, sometimes those people aren't open to, to being helped. Did did you, were you the type of person that you were like seeking mentorship and very open to it? Or did that take you some time to sort of trust that, you know, somebody wasn't trying to actually harm you? Because that could happen. I was definitely, I think, an empty cup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I looked for that. I looked for, you know, I really did. And I think because I didn't get a lot of it growing up, I, I appreciated it. And uh, but, you know, I'm also someone that wears my heart on my sleeve. And yeah, there's there's a yin and a yang to that. And so, no, I don't feel like I, I put up walls. Um, mm. I was definitely open to it and was very appreciative of it. I love that. So I don't know who knows your story or who doesn't know your story, but you also had an incredible career in the military. So maybe just give us a, a high level overview of all of the incredible things that you did and how you were the first woman in many of these situations. So um, after I uh, graduated from college, I was I went to flight school and I did not have 2020 vision. So I could not be a pilot, but I could be a naval flight officer. Hmm. And at that time period, I graduated from college in 1986. And at that time period, very few women, whether you are a pilot or a naval flight officer in the military, in the Navy, there's um, 
women that fly in every single military service, but I can only, you know, I was an expert on what happened in the Navy. So they were only allowing 10 women NFOs, Naval Flight Officers, to go through the program at that time. And I don't remember how many women pilots, but we were very, we were probably down on, you know, two to three percentile of number of aviators in the military. Wow. Very small number. And at that time also, we could not fly in combat. The combat exclusion law was not repealed until 1993. So at that time period, I went through flight school, graduated at the top of my class, but I did not get my choice of, of where to go or what to fly because women could only fly in certain type of aircraft. Got it. Even though they could be combat aircraft, but it couldn't be in a combat situation. So I was stationed in Key West, Florida, another great yeah. place. Oh yeah. gosh, I feel so bad for you. <laughs> I was there three years. But so I flew, uh, what we did was, is we trained the fleet in enemy tactics. So I flew in a two-seater A7 and I flew in an A6, which is an EA6A. And we would simulate en- enemy tactics and we would train the fleet, the train combat aviators, ships on what the enemy looked like. I had a very interesting experience during my time in Key West because we had a, uh, I was flying an A6 with a pilot in my squadron and we were flying up in Jacksonville, Florida and we had a total hydraulic failure. We ended up ejecting out of our aircraft over the ocean in February of 1991. I was the first woman to eject using a Martin Baker seat, which is the primary, one of the primary ejection seats for military aircraft. And so... I was in the water for about an hour, was, you know, picked up by a search and rescue helicopter, was back up flying in a couple of weeks, but very interesting story because Martin Baker is a company out of England and they give everyone who's ejected a tie. Well, I'm a woman. They called me up. They said, do you want a tie? And I said, whatever you want to give me is great. <laughs> they put this little pewter pin that was special for me. Hmm. And they wanted me to fly over and receive it from the Princess of Wales, Princess Diana. Oh. The Navy didn't allow me to do that, but I just thought it was a very cool story. And so um, I've been in contact with them through the years. And um, they actually just recently developed a special watch through the Bremont Company, the oh, Bremont yeah. Watch Company, for just ejectees. And they give you half price. The watches are really expensive, like $5,000. So my husband surprised me with one a couple years ago. and they basically I'll let you purchase it for half price. But I've been in contact with them. They're a great company. And I don't know how many women total have ejected so far, maybe like 10. But I know a couple of the women that have ejected. And um, so we, you know, we've shared our stories together. And But anyway, so after that squadron tour, the combat exclusion law was repealed. And I was able to go to a combat squadron and fly on and off aircraft carriers. Whoa. So I had a great career. I, um, did 20 years. I My last year, my last uh, tour in the military, my last four years, five years, I switched over to what's called um, AEDO, Aerospace Engineering Duty Officer, which is you work as a program manager for major aviation programs within the Navy. And really set me up nicely for when I retired to work as a program manager in defense type programs after I, I left the military. On a personal note, I didn't get married until I was 39. Mm-hmm. And my last tour in the military, I got married. My husband was not military and had my first child at the age of 42. Love and it. And then had my second child at the age of 45. So I have two boys and I also have a, a grown stepdaughter too. So that's, you know, my husband and I both are older parents. So we're pretty exhausted, but, yeah. but it's good. I mean, it's, it's the, honestly, I can truly say it's, 
it's the best thing I've done in my life as much as, you know, as any parent, your kids take you to the end of yourself sometimes. They're really the best thing I've done in my life. Aww. It, you know. Wow. Yeah. And I, I mean, after having a career like that in the military, I mean, th- whoa, you know, I'm like, uh, my mouth is open, like being ejected, being in the water for an hour. Like, I mean, I, you know, the questions are swirling in my head. Like, were you prepared for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what are, like, were there sharks? You know, like, I, I have a lot I of questions. About that, you know, but I did get into my raft. So, and then a search and rescue swimmer rappelled down to me and wrapped me in a horse collar. And we, you know, I went up to the helicopter that way. And, um, but it was, I mean, I'm I'm actually more afraid of the situation looking back on it now, because I think when you're young yeah, and, you know, you're fearless and, you know, you don't have, you You don't have have the kids too. Yeah. Yeah. You have kids. Yeah. So it's a funny story because I guess my commanding officer at the time called my parents and, you know, said, hey, this happened to your daughter. And my, my mom had been laying down taking a nap and she woke up and she was like, did I really, that really happened? And she called him back and she said, could you tell me that all again? Wow. You know, <laughs> and yeah, so many things could have went wrong. And so I'm just very thankful. I met the um, pilot of that helicopter that rescued me years later. I had I had a book published in 2012 called Military Fly Moms. It's a collection of stories of 70 women. My story's in it too. Beautiful. Of women who were either active duty or or veterans that flew in the military and they all were moms. And so that's why it's called Military Fly Moms. It talks all about their, their, you know, growing up and why they chose to, you know, join the military and what it was like to fly in combat if they flew in combat and what the legacy is they want to pass down to their kids. Hmm. But through that book, I was able to meet, because, you know, you lose touch with people in the military, but I was able to uh, regain contact with the search and rescue swimmer who rescued me and also the pilot. And I didn't know this at the time, but the pilot, well, my radio was dead when I was in the water in my raft. It was the first time I had not checked my radio before I went flying. I always would pre-flight my gear like you're supposed to, but we were in a hurry walking to the jet that day. And I didn't turn my radio on and off like I always do. Mm. And so my radio was dead. So I'm in the raft trying to use my radio. It's not working. So I popped a so I threw out a, what's called a sea dye marker into the water. And that is like fluorescent orange or green, which will show your position. And then I also popped a pencil flare, which it doesn't go up that high, and especially on a bright day. It was cloudy, but it was a bright afternoon. It was around one o'clock. So the helicopter pilot said, you know, was your radio really dead? And I said, well, yes, why? He and I talked after the book was published. He found me and we chatted. And I said, yes, why? And he said, because we called out over the radio, Gulf Delta 110, which was our call sign, pop your smoke. And that meant to pop a pencil flare. He said at that very moment, the pencil flare came in front of our helicopter. No and he way. said, that's how, that's how we found you. And he said, so there obviously was somebody looking out for you that day. Oh my God. Yeah. So I still keep in touch with him now. So it was a yeah, really great story. Oh my, that is, yeah, there is definitely someone watching over you. Yeah. That is, oh <laughs> yeah. my God, that, oh, my heart, like, I have tears in my eyes. Wow. That is incredible. Oh, and so... 
Gosh. So you left the military, you retired, still very young. And did you go right into, I mean, I know that you said that you sort of uh, did something different before you retired, but did you go right into like a corporate job? I'm kind of curious how and why you started the, uh, the Speakers Bureau. So I did, I, it wasn't corporate, it was a defense company. So I started as a program manager. Okay. And I, it probably was a couple, within a couple years after retiring, I had the desire to write my book. And it took me almost eight years to get the book together mm-hmm. just because I was having babies and, you know, just busy. I was just newly married too, and life is busy. And, but through the book is when I started doing some speaking myself. It just got, life got too busy for me to do any speaking like travel long distance because my husband's job started, his career started really taking off. And so he was traveling quite a bit. So I had connected with another woman veteran, Grace Tiscarana Sato, and we started collaborating on how we could get our voices out there because she and I, it, we had this vision or we had this, I guess, a vision of, of elevating women veterans' voices because we felt like the media or, or you know, there's this um, perspective that all women veterans are, um, are victims. And not that it doesn't happen, things don't happen, and there's not military sexual trauma and uh, homelessness, but we felt like that was the only story that was being told about women veterans. Mm. It wasn't the complete story. So she and I, you know, came up with this idea to start a Women Veterans Speakers Bureau. And we we did that. We started, gosh, I'm trying to remember when, probably like 2012. And we were very small. We only had like 10 core members. We had a different name. And um, and so we just started learning the business. And a few years after that, 2015, I really wanted to grow the business, change the business model. And she's like me, very busy, has lots of things on her plate. So at that point, you know, she didn't have time to do it. Mm-hmm. I took it over, I changed the name, changed the business model and started adding women, speakers, coaches, trainers, facilitators to my business. Mm-hmm. And so it's been consistently growing every year. This year has not been good because of the coronavirus. Yeah. But last year was our was our best year. Oh, and congratulations. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, I decided to change up the business model this about six months ago. So we, we've adjusted to more of a connection agency, connection and marketing agency. So our, our, our members pay an annual uh, membership fee, which is actually very low, but we don't charge any booking commission unless they want us to completely get involved and do all the booking and the negotiation and coordination. But our basic membership is, you know, they, they join the the uh, speakers agency. We do tons of marketing on LinkedIn and email marketing, and you know to get their profile out there. And then uh, potential clients will contact them, or that sometimes contact us, and we'll connect them with the speaker. And so, yeah, I love it. It's it's, um, it's I'm very passionate about it. And so we're in the process right now. We probably lost half of our members when we changed up our business model. So we're in the growth pro- growth uh, stage again. Hmm. Uh, we we probably have about 50 additional members we're in the process of adding right now. And so um, 
yeah, we're in an exciting time period right now because we're we're growing and changing. And um, but I love it. I love um, my. You know, people always ask me why. Um, you know, I don't write my own book, or I really try to push myself. And really, I love promoting and highlighting other women veterans. It's just kind of my thing, and I love doing that. You know, I I love it so much. And you know, it's funny. Um, and listen. I just have to state that, you know, here we are in the pandemic. I don't have a private office in my home and I've got lots of noises going on around me and my dog is barking. (laughs) So uh, this is real life. (laughs) Um, But when you were talking about the starting of the business and having a partner and, you know, she was busy. You know, I have the same exact story as you with my conference. So our conference started out, it had a different name. I had a partner. We did it together for a couple of years and then her life got busy. She has three kids. I wanted to grow the business. I thought that there was something really special there. And so, you know, that wasn't sort of in her you know, what she wanted to move on to. So I took the business, changed the business model, changed the name. I did everything the exact same thing as you. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is, you know, you spoke at the the She Leads conference and I can't recall what year it was. I think it was 2016, but there was a, another woman and I, I, I literally just interviewed her a couple weeks back on the Sugar Coated podcast and uh, her name is Bobby Carlton. And she's out of Massachusetts and she has a women's speakers bureau that has the same model as you. It's a yearly membership and she does the same thing. She, you know, highlights uh, women speakers and, and promotes them, but doesn't take any booking fees. And I just think if you haven't met Bobby, I thought you might know her. But if you haven't met Bobby, I think that you guys have something to talk about. Uh, I think there's a lot of synergies there. So yeah. okay, just Great. throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all we're all connected. And I, I feel like there's a thread that runs through all of this. And something else that you said that really, really resonates with me is this idea that you are looking to elevate women's voices and in particular, you know, women veterans voices. Uh, she leads media is also very, you know, passionate and driven to elevate women's voices, thoughts, opinions. So I just really admire everything that, that you're doing. And also the fact that, you know, you are trying to change the narrative of what's in the media, because you're right. When you do think of, you know, women veterans, you know, I, of course, think of you and don't think of you as a victim at all. Um, But but when I do think about that, there is the whole narrative around just sexual harassment and, and things like that. So I love that you're out there advocating and and really giving other opportunities for women veterans to get everything, their stories, their positive stories out there. I love it. <sighs> yes. So with that, <laughs> I also know that you're working on a really interesting project. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Proudly She Served? So the Proudly She Served project is ProudlySheServed.com. And I got connected with an artist, Steve Alpert, out of um, New York. He had contacted me a couple years ago. He had gotten my name from one of my Women Veteran Speaker members. And he 
was interested in painting some women veterans, their portraits, large portraits. And he had already painted one. And Don Halfacre, who owns a, um, a defense company out of Washington, D.C. And so long story short, we now have 12 women veterans where there are a couple are active duty. And our, our most, um, our probably most famous one is uh, Senator uh, Tammy Duckworth. And we have a collection of women who are well-known and not well-known, a, gr- a great collection of women from the military, different military services. And it's basically to highlight women veterans and to highlight their service and why they choose to serve, why they chose to serve. And um, so we've been working on this project now for about two years. We're in the process of teaming with the Military Women's Memorial in Washington, D.C. and Arlington. And we're going to become a a project within their organization. And we are going to have a a huge gala event at the uh, Military Women's Memorial in March uh, 2022. It's during Women's History Month. Where um, we'll also have a, a a book launch. Also, there's going to be a coffee table style book um, that accompanies the portraits. Mm-hmm. So that's stage one, and then stage two is we're going to have a national exhibition tour where the portraits are going to travel throughout the country at select locations, with the whole goal to you know motivate young girls and young women to you know achieve their dreams and to, you know, that, and just highlight that women can do whatever they want. And this, we have such a great country and so many amazing opportunities for women. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm really excited about it. We have a great team. We're all working pro bono. We're in the process right now of trying to hire a director of fundraising, director of um, development to help us raise funds mm-hmm. for the project. And, uh, but we have some just amazing young college interns that are working on our project. And yeah, that's we're it's really an exciting project. We've already had so much uh, positive response to it. This is amazing. And I'm, I'm just taking a look at the website as you're talking. And, you know, you've got a, a big team of people here really working on this project. And I can't Wait, I mean, I I, I want to attend. <laughs> so please invite me, especially because it's in 2022. Let's hope that there's <laughs> some sort of a vaccine by then. But I just think that this is such an incredible project that you're working on. And, you know, it's it just goes to show that all have certain areas of focus that pull us and and put us in the right places. And to me, this is like, you know, you, you sort of had this, I would say, logical, right, uh, very uh, operations driven type of career. And, and you're moving into a, a much more creative realm. And I just think that's, it's beautiful. It's incredible. I've definitely learned a lot, you know, and it's been a great opportunity, really has. And Steve and I are a great team. I always say that we're um, brother and sister from another mother. (laughs) 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 You know, we offset, we both have different skill sets. And um, I mean, we started at the ground floor in this and we've, you know, we've really built it up. So I'm really proud of the the project. But we have such a long way to go. Yeah. And now, in addition to all of this, you are are working full time. I am. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just think that that's 
incredible. Um, Plus I have kids. I'm very busy, active. Both of my boys are competitive swimmers. ah. And my my oldest son, who just turned 17, who is (laughs) 6'5". Is he really? 215 pounds. Yeah, he's being recruited by colleges right now for swim. Yeah. He's a good, very good swimmer. So it's it's been a little bit crazy with the pandemic because their schedules are all over, you know, the map right now. And so now we're we're up at four a.m. every day, so they can be at the pool by five a.m. Wow, which isn't our norm. And so yeah, wow. You so you have a a full plate. You have a full life. And to just kind of circle back around to it, too, it seems like you have a relationship with your parents, which I I sort of heard in there a little bit. And I think that that's an incredible thing as well. Uh, Is that is am I picking that up correctly with my parents? Yeah. So unfortunately, my father has passed away before I was married and um, and my mom um, and my stepdad uh, lived in South Carolina and uh, my mom passed away also two years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Very quickly from Ooh. cancer. It was, a, it was such a big shock to our family because we always thought, you know, she, she was relatively young. She was in her seventies and, you know, early seventies. And um, so it was a big shock to our family and she was such a dynamo and had so much life to live. Mm. And so my my dad, my stepdad, we recently just moved him into a senior citizen place in Atlanta. And that was, I, I, I'm sure that many of your listeners can relate to this. You know, when you as a child have to start, you know, moving into that role to help your parents. Yeah. And I mean, it was a lot of work. We got his, he had a huge house. We had to get the house sold. We had to, you know, get all the possessions in the house, you know, situated, either going to, you know, kids or going with him or going to the new owners of the house and getting him moved. And I was the program manager for all that. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course. You know, and my brother and my sister were very helpful and but it was a lot of work and um but I, it, you know, he's somewhere safe now and he loves it. It's a brand new place. And it's hard, that whole, you know, circle Sandwich of life. Sandwich generation type yeah. of a thing. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, the, you know, and then just considering everything with the pandemic, there must be a lot of angst around, you know, just making sure that he's safe and everything. Yeah. But yeah. it, I mean, I'm, I'm just so inspired by you. I think that you have accomplished so much and, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that we continue to be in each other's networks. I know that I'm a a supporter of uh, women veteran speakers and, you know, I, I do have a, an online, she leads event coming up soon. So I'm going to take a look at the site and I'm, I'm going to invite one or maybe more speakers uh, to the She Leads online uh, event. And, you know, that's great too. And I just want to say this too about the women veteran speakers. Like my, my focus is to bring on board women veterans, you know, that are speakers, coaches, trainers, facilitators. But that's really the veteran part is what gets your foot in the door. The interesting thing about our members is they all have such interesting, the interesting toolbox of skills. And so I'm, 
very particular uh, on who I invite in because they have to have more than, I, I don't say just being a veteran, but they, they have to, to appeal to our target market. Yep. Obviously that they're a veteran. But, you know, our target market is corporate, colleges and universities, professional, you know, events, professional conferences. And then, you know, yes, we do uh, book our speakers for veteran events. But unfortunately, many times veteran events don't have any funding, you know, which is the unfortunate piece. And our speakers will do some pro bono events, but primarily they're for fee type of speakers. But there's so many amazing women who are members of Women Veteran Speakers. I mean, I have a couple who have doctorates, you know, they're published authors, they're, you know, they speak on high performing sales. I have one woman who has a doctorate in in economics. And um, so just an incredible variety of expertise there. Yeah. And, And many of them have, after they've left the military, they have transitioned into corporate you know, into corporate positions. So even though they are veterans, many of them do have, you know, a lot of corporate experience and, and, you know, some are in academia also. So yeah, I definitely recommend, I have some really great speakers I could recommend to speak at one of the She Leads conferences. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny as I'm kind of scrolling through, I mean, it's amazing. There's, you know, a, a diverse array of women. But one of the things that I see that is consistent is like every single one of them is beautiful. (laughs) They are. They're like all these glamour, like they they are, they have such brightness in their eyes. And that's what I see. And that's what I feel coming through. So yeah, I'm going to take a look at, at everybody and see who might be a right inspirational fit. Because, you know, if you, if you are in the military, and, and and you come out on the other side with a smile on your face and, uh, you know, brightness in your eye, you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Because it's not, I mean, the military is not for everybody. Yeah. You know, I, I encourage people, you know, even if you just stay in for four years, it's not for everybody and not everybody chooses to serve that way, you know, and, um, and it's not always easy. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't work remote. You can't just, you can't take Fridays off. You can't, I mean, so, you know, I mean, it's definitely some people stay in for four or five, six years and some people stay in for a career. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't, I can't wait. And Linda, just thank you so much for taking the time speaking with me today, sharing your story with our listeners. I'm sure that they'll appreciate it so much. And I just look forward to continuing to, you know, be in community with you and everybody else that you are in community with. And I just really appreciate our uh, friendship and our professional relationship. Ditto. I really agree. And I think the most successful part of today is that my dogs and my kids weren't involved in this phone call. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I can't say the same thing. Thank you so much. And, you know, why don't you just you can just tell people, I mean, or I can uh, if they go to womenveteranspeakers.com, if you're a a woman veteran and you have something valuable to offer and to share, you can join. Right. Love that. That that. would be amazing. And then the Proudly She Served is proudlysheserved.com to take a look at that incredible art project um, and portrait project. And is there anything else that you'd like the listeners to sort of check out or maybe be able to uh, connect with you? 
Um, I mean, we're obviously on, so, on social media. So if you go there and you want to connect with us on social media, we'd love to uh, connect with you. And um, I think that's great. Thank you so much, Adrienne. This was really wonderful. And it was a great opportunity just to connect with you. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Thank you so much, Linda. Take care. All right. Okay. Talk to you soon. is the She Leads Podcast Network.